Hello and welcome to Our Three Cents, a podcast celebrating the very finest video games. My name is Jonathan Dunn and I am joined, as always, by my childhood friend, Chris Dow. Four and twenty blackbirds baked in a pie. And my adulthood friend, Minty Boo. And there were so many ducks on the lake that we didn't realise that it wasn't actually a lake at all. It was just a clump of ducks on some grass. And we are discussing our all-time top 100 video games. This week, we have our number 51s. But uh, before we do that, it is time to return to the epic battle, the battle to end all battles. It is the Hour Three Cents quiz. The quiz. The quiz. The score is currently 25-21 in favour of Chris. So Minty's hoping to pull a few things back. Daxter, from the popular platformer franchise Jack and Daxter, is what kind of animal? Oh, bloody hell. Is he A, a weasel? B, an otter, C, a squirrel, or D, an otzel? I think he's a weasel. You both said weasel? Mm. Yeah. Yeah, neither of you are right. Is it an otzel, whatever that is? It is. It is an otzel. What is an otzel? I don't know. What's an otzel with you? (laughs) That doesn't work. (laughs) No, it doesn't at all. But there we go. Chris gets the point for, for getting in quickest there. Um, I mean, I wouldn't have known. Nobody knows. I don't know what an Otzel is. I don't know what a Daxter is. <laughs> I mean, I, I know the character. I can see the character, but I, I never would have known he was a, a particular weird brand of rat. Well, there we go. It's 26-21. We have had another question come in from the social media sphere. So David Boys Layton has asked us on Facebook what our favourite game series is that diminishes in quality with each release. Uh, He cited uh, Dark Souls as an example, saying that the first one is the pinnacle of the series. Dark Souls 2 is a misunderstood and underrated game. And Dark Souls 3, whilst being incredible, is also a bit of a mess he says uh, obviously this uh, this this question is, is is kind of subjective and I'm, i thought i'd actually tackle first of all his thoughts on dark souls Go on, then. and explain just just why he's wrong because, <laughs> because there is in absolutely no way in any universe that dark souls 3 is worse than dark souls 2 is i mean it's just not i, I don't I mean, it's un, that's unacceptable it's lies basically it's pure lies it's just libel uh, i think whether dark souls 3 or dark souls 1 is the better game i don't know personally i had a better time with dark souls 3 i thought it was more refined david said he thinks that the story is a bit of a mess in it but then i think the story in dark souls is whatever you make it to be and how invested you get in reading the flavor text of the different items and sort of studying the lore and thinking about it and all that sort of stuff so so i i don't accept that as, a, as an example of this <laughs> so what what do you think do you do you have a game series that you think has diminished generally i think that video games go the opposite way to movies because it's very obviously very very rare that like sequels to films will be better than the previous one they just seem to follow the same formula try and refine it or magnify it and end up making a, a worse movie whereas games take kind of what's worked and develop it further harness the power of evolutions in technology mm. and, and everything to make a, a better game so usually a sequel to a game will be will be better what, what are your guys thoughts for me it's been really difficult to think of a series where the where the decline is steady because my my initial thought was oh well, obviously it's paper mario but that sort of goes oh yeah paper mario is good thousand years doors better super paper mario not as good because it's just a completely different game uh, sticker star was probably one of the worst video games that nintendo has ever <laughs> made but then color splash was a bit better so i answered this question on the facebook page and i said uh, saints row but i'd started from two 
so I thought two was the best, three wasn't as good, and four wasn't as good as that for the same reason as Super Paper Mario, who was a it was like a superhero sim instead of like a Saints Row game, I guess. But then I thought, what about Golden Sun? Oh, that's an interesting one. Are there three Golden Suns? Yeah, there was a threequel on the DS. Yeah. Dark Dawn. I can't remember much about it, but I don't know if that's because I didn't play it or because I just forgot about it. I'm pretty sure I have played it. <laughs> I, I remember playing it in a delusion of haze when I had the flu and I had taken temporary employ as the secretary for the Bishop of Monmouth. And I remember just sitting in the office there, absolutely just dying with flu. The only reason I could get myself there is because I literally lived around the corner. And I remember having to trudge through snow, get there, get behind the desk. I barely had to do anything. It was lit- it was just the easiest money. So I just dragged myself out of the house, into the chair, and just sat and played Golden Sun Dark Dawn. But beyond that, I can't really remember much of that game. Mm. I think the, the sequel, whilst obviously sort of broadening the world and everything, and, and, it, and it was meant to kind of be part two of like a, a complete kind of experience because uh, the game did sort of carry directly on from that and you could transfer your save over but yeah i didn't enjoy the second one as much as the the first but i think i did enjoy the third one more than the second so um and but t- to be honest for me like the kirby series has never been as good as kirby's dreamland <laughs> yeah I, I, mm. I think that's probably fair and i really didn't like the touchscreen based ones like power paintbrush and the rainbow curse that's the one chris what are your thoughts i struggled for a while like i think it is a really tough question the closest i got to something that i think starts high and, and gradually comes down is, is maybe the doom series okay because it i mean it might sound like heresy to people that really love doom but I, th- I think the original is genuinely outstanding, like one of the, the greatest of all time. And then I think Doom 2 pushes the, the whole kind of level design of the thing in the wrong direction. So stages get a lot bigger. It's, it's more about like mazes of key cards and locked doors and more rooms that are just stuffed with like impenetrable numbers of enemies that like, I didn't find as fun. Mm. And then Doom 3 is obviously a very different game, goes in a totally different direction. And although like we mentioned in our, our Halloween episode last year, I really appreciate the design, the way it uses light and everything, but it's more of just a, yeah. a horror action game. It's not really a Doom game. Yeah. It doesn't feel like that. And I suppose for me, it starts to buck the trend. The, the most recent one, 2016's just Doom, the, the kind of reboot. Yeah. I think it gets back to what makes the original so good. So at least the core trilogy, I think, have like a slow decline, but it, it's kind of come up again for me. I think it, although you could say that the new one is, is a bit more about style than substance, but yeah. still, I think I think it does capture a good chunk of what made the original so, so enjoyable. But even that, like I'm saying this has a decline. I think all of these games are good. Yeah. I, I don't think you can really argue that any of the Doom games are bad. It's just a series that I don't believe was ever really bettered since the original. Yeah. But other than that, I, I really don't know. So what have we been playing this week? Uh, this is the first episode that we've recorded since doing our Secret Santa exchanges. So I imagine that Minty has completed Hollow Knight, Chris has completed Tales of Zebedee Maria, because I can certainly say that I blasted through Cat Quest. Absolutely loved it. Really good fun. Great puns. Bought Cat Quest 2 immediately on the eShop play through all of that really good really good it's a there's a deeper sort of rpg system in it you're controlling yeah. two characters you've got a cat and a dog so you have to sort of balance the other characters powers and gear to sort of work well alongside your character so that because the ai will be controlling the doggo or the cato pal that you have so you need to make sure that it's doing kind of what you want at the end of the game teases a third so i'm well up for that and i'm don't know what the third animal will be that will be introduced maybe mice 
because that's kind of the last in the food chain but maybe they'll go the other way and it i don't know bears or something uh, <laughs> or, or, or maybe man what if it went backwards and gave you a bird it could be a bird could be could be a bird could be <laughs> maybe we'll see because I've, I've just got back from my honeymoon and there was a lot of plane time uh, involved in that so i managed to play through a lot of things and try a whole bunch of stuff that i had downloaded on my switch that i hadn't had a go at i started plowing into hotline miami 2 lovely and it is uh fucking hard yeah. verging on not being fun <laughs> I, I, I definitely preferred the first one setup it was yeah. a lot sort of more straightforward and the story in the sequel is like deliberately all over the place and told out of sequence but not in like a way that's fun to witness <laughs> you see something like it's clearly inspired by you know something like tarantino uh, where you sort of jump back and forward a little bit but every single level you do is told is like in a f- from a different character's perspective at a different point in time and it feels more like an exam testing me <laughs> on what i'd remembered in all of the scenarios before and it it just it just started pissing me off so i i, I found myself skipping the cutscenes because they just slowed the game down i just wanted to get into smashing things up again but then you needed to pay attention to like what the mechanics were of, of what, whatever character you were playing as and it, it wasn't yeah i think it's i don't know it's, it's all right but it's started getting annoying there you go series series which diminishes hotline miami is, is a perfect example there we go there we go i also played on your recommendation chris i played through love yeah and it's nice isn't it i played that actually whilst on my honeymoon i was while sammy was having a nap i was sat out the front of my jungle chalet playing that in the middle of the jungle and saw some wild boar trotting past uh, which was which was great yeah so that was my memory of playing love and uh, really really good i could definitely see myself getting hooked on trying to refine my runs to get the highest grade like you did but i was kind of happy just to complete it and it's there on my my switch for now until i want to return to it i also tried axiom verge which i know has had massive critical acclaim that's that's the kind of metroid alike isn't it it is so Metroid-like that it is. It doesn't even feel like it's trying to do anything different yeah. to, to the way that like other Metroidvania games do. I just found it really dull. Like, it's, the protagonist is not silent, and there's a, just a real sort of crowbarred-in, spoon-fed story. And whereas like Metroid likes to drop you in and let the atmosphere and things do like the bulk of the heavy lifting in terms of establishing its richer lore, it, it feels like Axiom Verge as. It feels like it's more of a way that the creator had to tell his like sci-fi passion project that he sort of had in his mind since he was a kid. Like, oh, I've got yeah. this cool story. And because he, he couldn't make a movie, so he kind of made a game. And it just, it, yeah, it didn't feel as good to play as any other Metroidvania game that I've played. Certainly didn't feel as good as Metroid. It just annoyed me. So, yeah, happy to leave that on the pile. How about you guys? Chris, what have you been playing? I've been playing, and I think this is the point where you need to put in like a big dramatic sound effect. Ocarina of Time 3D. Yay! Fantastic. Yeah, because after talking about it last episode when Minty uh, brought it up as his 52nd favourite game and we kind of talked about how long it might take to beat and stuff, I thought, yeah, okay, why not? I'll give it a go. And I've, I've not finished it yet because I'm quite slow at this stuff, but I'm probably 15 hours in maybe. And for me, for me, that's pretty good. Uh, I've just beaten the Fire Temple. Oh, nice! A little yeah. bit after that, and I, I want to make a formal apology that I've I've left it this long to give this game its, its proper dues, <laughs> because yeah. you know, like you both said, you know, the game is 
Ocarina of 3D is now almost 10 years old and Ocarina of Time is uh, is over 20 years old and yeah. it's barely aged a day in that time. Yeah, it's incredible. And I mean, some some listeners may be aware that I've been like tweeting my experiences through screenshots on a Twitter thread, which I'll put in our Facebook group once this episode goes up. But it's hard to get over how much I'm enjoying this game and how well it holds up, even on like the tiny 3DS in 2020. Yeah. It's just it's 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 a gorgeous game <laughs> it's it's so well structured and and as a title it single-handedly solves like such a laundry list of potential problems for 3d games at that time like in in the late 90s so you've you've got stuff like the the z or l targeting on the 3ds that took away all the yeah. issues with fighting or spying with multiple enemies in 3d yeah every game has done that since yeah yeah a really smart lock-on it's like you say it persists in so many titles today it, it does something really clever as well like the, the travel between time is obviously part of the story but it also allowed Nintendo to expand the scope of the adventure far beyond what the cartridge on the N64 should have allowed Yeah, because it was a really clever reuse of assets and locations and, and the dungeons they're just so well paced they're, they're really well designed really well paced and they're still used as like a starting point for most action adventure games and designers today Yeah, I mean most of all though it, it's a game which makes me really miss the kind of unique properties of the 3DS. Yeah. Because, you know, I, I still have the console. I've, I've still got games to play on it. But Nintendo have obviously moved completely away from the glasses-free sort of witchcraft <laughs> 3D that the handheld had. And it, it's just such a shame because I know certain games didn't run as well in 3D. But th- this title just looks so good in 3D. that the, These little vistas, even with their kind of old aging textures, they, they feel tangible and, and real. And it's, like I said, it's, it is an astonishing game and I'm really going to endeavour to finish it because so far at this point, I, I guess I'm about halfway, a little bit over that. I, I, I genuinely really am loving it. Good. I'm really, really glad. I'm also really excited for you to play Majora's Mask because I think that's literally... I. I think you're going to struggle to comprehend that in terms of like how quickly you can over-intellectualize a game in a way, which, which I absolutely love. I, I thought to myself, I thought, oh, he's started playing Zachary of Time. I wonder how long it's going to take him to talk about a, sort of a sense of place. And, uh, and lo and behold, you're right in there, right in there. It was great. Yeah. But Majora's Mask is going to, I think you're going to, it's just going to give you so much to think about. And I, I, I cannot wait for that and to hear what your thoughts on it are. Well, uh, it, hopefully it won't be one I leave for another 10 years. So yeah. <laughs> it's, it's on the pile. Uh, and I imagine when I get through Ocarina, I'll, I'll kind of play a few other things and then, I, and then I'll come back to more Zelda after that. Hopefully. Yeah. That's my plan at least. And we'll see how we do. How about you, Minty? What have you been playing? Well, I'm really happy to announce that in keeping with my personal branding, I haven't completed a single game that I'm known to own <laughs> since the last time I've recorded. I haven't played any more of Saints Row because I have been playing Hollow Knight. Yay! This... So I I am enjoying it, right? But it took me a while to sort of get into the mindset of enjoying it, if that makes sense. Yes. Because I, I started playing and I was like, I, I'm not enjoying this because it's it's extremely hard to like fight things. I just want to be able to hit yeah. something like twice in a row, you know, like yeah, as opposed to just and that's my attack. But then I was like, okay, well that's just something I've got to work with. So I started to just go. Maybe dodge. Use the uh, use the mothwing cloak <laughs> to get away from uh, from an em- from an enemy's counter, etc., etc. So I got combat down. That was fine. And then uh, just the general platforming. I was like, well, this is bullshit. I can't do any of this. Like, it's <laughs> it's, it's really hard getting all the button inputs in at the, uh, in time. And 
this this spike has has a ludicrous hitbox. I wasn't anywhere near it. <laughs> and then I was like, well, okay, this is something that I've got to um, I've got to you know work around. So I'm playing the game by the game's rules. So let's just power on through it. And I start to get better at the platforming. So I'm very good at playing it now. I think. Good. But I don't know why I'm playing it. I haven't got a clue what's going on. <laughs> Anybody I try and talk to is just like, oh, the dew drops fall and cast a bruise upon the moon in the lake. Like, what does that mean? That means nothing to me. <laughs> like, this, this statue is like, oh, awaken the king. It's like, well, I, I don't know who the king is. You're all bugs. Bugs don't have kings. Bucks have queens. Well, I mean, I mean, see what you mean. But, uh, judging by uh, <laughs> judging by the uh, the personal journey I went through with combat and then with platforming, mm. I assume I'm going to get answers soon, and I'm going to be like, well, this is great. I hope so. It is a game that requires a, a certain amount of persistence. Yes. And I know that I've really sort of poo-pooed that about games before, saying, well, I shouldn't have to force myself through ten hours of game to enjoy the last thirty. But as far as saying about it kind of being a, a gateway to more souls-like things mm. but I'm, I'm really really glad that you have sort of pushed through some of those uh, barriers and uh, and, and are starting to starting to enjoy it mm. well i'm no quitter i'm just not very good at things so it takes me <laughs> a little longer to get there shall we move on to the rankings yes starting this week we have my game i'm excited i remember when the 3ds was first announced and it was probably the toughest job that the marketing department at Nintendo had ever had to deal with. As obviously we've attributed it to voodoo or witchcraft, <laughs> the stereoscopic 3D capabilities of the handheld. In order to experience this new feature, you had to be physically looking at the 3D screen. So it meant that when the first adverts for the console came out, Nintendo had to resort to showing simulated experiences of what it might feel like to play in 3D. Uh, I remember like this included a video of Miyamoto playing a 3DS and Mario jumping out of the screen and running about on his shoulders. And it was, it was obviously a very, very difficult thing to relate to an audience. It's like perfume. Exactly, exactly. I mean, I want, uh, you know, I want to see Charlize Theron wafting down a hallway in a silky golden dress. And I can imagine that, oh, that must smell nice. <laughs> Do you remember as well when... Um, when Sky were first trying to sell like HD packages yes and, and you're doing so on, a, on an SD signal <laughs> and, yes. and you're just trying to show like shiny colours and lights and it's like this isn't this isn't anything yeah. <laughs> you're selling nothing exactly it's like when Blu-rays were advertised on DVDs it's like <laughs> mm, yeah you yeah. missed the point you missed the point so yeah it was obviously very tricky so when I actually got to get my hands on a 3DS and experience it it was genuinely thrilling but the games I got at launch probably didn't make best use of the 3D capabilities. I mean, I think the only one I really got was Pilot Wings, yeah. and it, it looked really cool with the sort of added depth. But for me, it it really did take a while before I saw a game that really felt like it made full use of the 3D capabilities, not just using them as an add-on or a gimmick. And it unsurprisingly came to Nintendo to to deliver that. And I think the first really good proper use of 3D came in Mario's first outing for the 3DS, which is Super Mario 3D Land. Way! This is a good oh, game. That is a good game. Yes, it is a good game. I mean, it saw Nintendo for the first time really combining the style of the 2D Mario games and the 3D Mario games together. It's such a great idea. And it's something that we've seen, like, say, Sonic do in Sonic Generations. And they, oh, they couldn't really sort of pull it off. And they opted for sort of alternating between... 2D levels and 3D levels and a couple of levels sort of trying to do 
2D levels, but like built in 3D. And it just didn't, they didn't really find like a common sort of factor that could work well with, with the other one. But Nintendo absolutely nailed it. And they did this by creating these sort of smaller little 3D dioramas that captured the essence of the 3D Mario games, but you approached them in the way that you did a classic 2D Mario game, which is like a little bit at a time. And in terms of the style of the game and the build of the game, if we see, say, Super Mario 64 as the evolution of Super Mario World, I would say that Super Mario 3D Land is like the true sequel to Super Mario Brothers 3, which I know is one of Minty's favourite games. Because like we've got the Tanuki suit that's returned, we've got the airship levels, some of the bosses, mini bosses, quite reminiscent sort of from those three, and, and that's just another way that sort of Nintendo could sort of weave in flavour of the 2D games into a more sort of 3D environment. But for the first time. 3D movement felt incredible because you had such an accurate perception of the depth of your movement. You, I mean, you were really able to like fling yourself about the stages and exploit all of the movement abilities that you can get. And this was something I'd never experienced before in a 3D platform game because, you know, usually you'd find yourself looking at the floor below your character to see where their shadow was, sort of use it as a marker of, of, of where you were going to land. And that meant that, you know, you're always trying to sort of multitask when you were doing things and and, uh, and now this issue was was solved you could just fully move wherever you wanted it's like when i first saw football being played in on a 3d tv and all of a sudden i was like well that goal was nowhere near but when you're watching it in 2d <laughs> the ball could fly like behind the goal like by the corner flag and you think oh just a just a smidge, just a smidge <laughs> there. <laughs> but because of this and because of like the diorama nature of the levels it meant they were i mean really able to experiment a lot more with level design so the levels that like i think there were a couple of levels where you you were basically completing them entirely in free fall <laughs> i think there was a top-down zelda inspired level and i remember like after you beat the game you then unlock special worlds and you get like a whole other eight worlds of levels that were like special levels and when you start to get to the end of those there were levels that were so sort of fiendishly difficult that they probably took as long to beat as you'd taken to beat the, the entire game before that and there was one level in particular I, I think it was actually the last level of the entire game it was just the most extraordinary gauntlet of obstacles and platforms there's no save spots you know you just had to complete successive perfect jumps perfect movement things and avoid obstacles so perfectly in a row so many times for you to sort of get to the end I mean, it was quite it was quite reminiscent actually of those like bonus levels that we talked about in Super Mario Sunshine a few weeks back, Minty, when we were talking about that game because it had the similar sort of like bright coloured blocks and everything. It oh, felt yes, yes. more like a like a test level to so be like, oh, these are you know we're building this out of these like blocks, and mm. it was very raw sort of raw platforming level design. But if you didn't have the 3D turned on. It was uh, it was just a total calamity. Like it felt like playing the game with a blindfold on, which is amazing, really, because I mean, it's a true testament of sort of how well thought out the game was from, you know, from top to bottom. They also utilised the three D for some really clever sort of puzzle design within the levels. There were like ingenious little forced perspective puzzles that you had to play in three D to understand where the blocks actually were. Otherwise, it just looked like they were, it was like a solid wall. But then as soon as you turn 3D on, you realise you can, you know, there's certain stuff in the foreground. Like the entrance to Labyrinth in the film Labyrinth. Mm. I always think that. I think, oh, it's a really, really, because like you get like Jennifer Connelly is looking at this wall and the little worm's going, hello, it's right in front of you or whatever. <laughs> and and it's because like the wall looks like it's a solid wall, but she can actually walk into it. And it's, it's but I was thinking like, that's a fun trick that works on film, but 
in reality, she'd have depth perception and she could clearly see that that was an... So, idiot. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take your word for it. One of the other things that was lovely, like, it was a genuinely... Oh, it was just a great moment. The first time you got onto an airship level and they had those giant spiked pillars launching from the background into the foreground. And Ooh, yes. I mean, like, it's just a great experience. It was phenomenal. It was just really exciting. And that was something that you never sort of experienced in a Mario game before. Like, I remember, like, you know, when you start Super Mario World and you get that giant uh, bullet bill fly past the stage, yeah. uh, fly across you. Like, that was, like, really awe-inspiring. It was similar to that. It was um, really exciting. Like you said earlier, Chris, like, I know the 3DS is on its way out now, but it was always the game that I'd recommend anyone to pick up uh, if they were getting a 3DS for the first time, just because it was such a good example of what the console could do and also an absolutely incredible game. Yeah. Unfortunately, I never got around to playing Super Mario 3D World on the Wii U. (sighs) (laughs) I know, I know. know, The thing is, I know that you loved it and you told me you loved it and that I should get it. But the reason I was reluctant to pick it up was because of the lack of 3D screen to play it on. Yeah, I do get that. And I thought it, it just, like, that was so intrinsic to my enjoyment of 3D Land but then I'm also sure that Nintendo would have actually had the nous to consider that and factored that into the design of the game. I mean, it's certainly a game that I would pick up in a heartbeat if it were to be ported to the Switch at some point. So hopefully it will be. I'll try it out because I know it is probably brilliant. And who doesn't love Mario as a cat? Exactly. Mm. But until then, Super Mario 3D Land, 51st favourite video game of all time, absolutely stunning example of what the 3ds was capable of and just a just a fantastically fun experience i love the 3ds i really really love it <laughs> um and like i said earlier like obviously we're in a different place and and the whole kind of the whole industry moved away from that obsession with 3d that tvs had and, and film yeah. had and and games had for that little period but i honestly think the 3ds is probably the best application of consumer 3d in, in any medium yeah because it, it didn't ask you to wear dumb glasses it, it didn't ask you to kind of change the way you interacted with the games you were playing yeah it did it for you and especially by the time we got to the new 3ds that had the, oh, yeah. the more stable 3d screen essentially mm. it's a game changer like you, you can play a whole game comfortably or far more comfortably than you ever could with your launch model and yeah 3d land was was an astonishing game it's lovely moving on we have minty can you please tell us about your 51st favorite video game i remember the first time i ever heard about pokemon Ooh. it was 1997 I had my first dog-eared issue of the official Nintendo magazine, and about an eighth of a page was dedicated to, I guess, like, foreign curiosities in gaming. Like, what, what was hot in Japan at that point? So this month, the focus was Pokemon. And at face value, it didn't look very interesting because it was just one screenshot of Squirtle using Tackle on a Bulbasaur. And the closing line for the little article was, Will Pokemon take over? Or will it be a big pile of poo? So I don't know why that stuck with me. But wowie, Pokemon really gained traction over the next 18 months. It was, yeah, it was, it was popular, just insane. Wasn't it? Oh yeah, yeah. This is before the games even came out. So Pokemon Red and Blue came out when I was still reading Beano magazine. And there was an ad for it that I will remember. Well, I, I have remembered for, what, nearly 20 years now? It had 24 Pokemon and a question that was like, which Pokemon has hooves ten times harder than diamonds? And while obviously you knew it... Taurus. Well, no, no, it was not Taurus. Rhyhorn. No. <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> what is it? 
<laughs> sorry. <laughs> I'm, I'm so sorry. And while obviously he knew it was Ponytail, because that was the only Pokemon out of all the little ones that were on the page to actually have hooves. Oh, uh, right. Okay. Well, I didn't find... I didn't have a smorgasbord to choose from. I was going in blind, Minty. Well, that... that, that... So it's my own fault. It's my own fault. <laughs> yes, it is. And I'm glad you're big enough to admit that. Where was I? It wasn't about getting. <laughs> it wasn't about getting the question right. Hmm. For me, it was seeing all the other Pokemon that were going to pop up and just wondering uh, what the heck is a Weeping Bell? Is this an actual Pokemon? Machop? It just looks like a musty little boy. <laughs> I don't think I'm ever going to want to use a Jinx. And I got Pokemon Blue for my birthday when I was eleven, and I immediately started playing it before school. I picked a Squirtle. And after devouring every little bit of media that I could about the game before it came out, I knew that I had to have a varied team of all different types and raise them all at the same rate to become a Pokemon master. That lasted about maybe five hours until I got a, well, until I got sick of Paris being nearly impossible to train because it was so shitty and just started using whatever I thought looked cool. <laughs> so I crushed the first half of the game with a Clefable, a Ductrio and a Doduo. And I beat the rest of the game with a Blastoise, a Zapdos, and an Articuno. And I caught a Mewtwo in the Unknown Dungeon alongside every other Pokemon in the Pokedex, which makes Pokemon Blue the first and last time I've ever completed the Pokedex fully. Yeah. Yeah. I think for many people our age, Pokemon was the first time we experienced any video game as a kind of uh, zeitgeist, I suppose. I think back to my last year of primary school, pretty much everybody was uh, was obsessed with it. And like Ocarina of Time last week, this was before the internet was really, really widespread. So you had all these unverified rumours about the games floating about. Oh, yeah. Or you could catch the ghost in the Pokemon Tower if you did some crazy button sequence. There was a secret Pokemon under the truck next to the cruise ship. I had about five friends whose cousin caught a Pika Blue. Yeah. I mean, I mean it, it was all bollocks, but it didn't matter. It was... Added to the sort of the, the general mystique of the game, it was it was crazy just to have it sweep across the whole country and spawn things like cartoons, movies, a little red calculator that looked like the Pokedex. Oh, I love that. There was days in half term where you could go to Woolies and trade cards with people and uh, get into fight with someone's mum because he didn't want to trade with her son because his cards were obvious fakes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, memories. Weird to think that despite being a franchise with such a massive cultural impact, the game that kicked it all off was, like, it was just a mess. If it came out today, people would be up in arms about it. This game isn't finished. This game is badly made. Hashtag fuck you game freak. If you spend twenty nine ninety nine on this game, you're a corporate shill. <laughs> but that became part of the charm of it, didn't it? Because I mean, everybody who's owned the game has corrupted their save to catch Mew with the trainer fly glitch or caught a level 142 ride on after running into missing though on Cinnabar Island. Oh, yeah. Right up to, the, I guess, the culmination of this, this big melting pot of glitches with... Um, with shenanigans catching all 151 Pokemon in like two hours at HDQ a few years ago. I love the fact that people have actually figured out how to get a Mew legitimately in the game through just like triggering a very, very specific certain set of sequences mm. that's that makes Mew appear in the wild. It's it's glitchless, but also obviously on some level manipulating the code of the game. Um, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, it took like 20 years to find it, but... I, I remember, Chris, you on a, on a school trip once on a bus, you spent 
I mean, well, I think he spent the entire bus ride trying to utilise some strategy that our friend Dev had uh, told you that was just totally made up. His, uh, his resolve just steadily crumbled. He'd be like, after a while, he was like, yeah, well, I, you, can, you can see it, but you can't actually catch it. Uh, and then you're like, well, it doesn't matter. Like, just seeing it is good enough. Eventually sort of conceded that it was, it was, um, it was all a lie. But I've got some wonderful sort of memories uh, for, of that game and playing that with, uh, with you, Chris. And I may well talk about some of those. At a later date. Ooh, there we go, Pokemon Blue. Thank you, Minty. Chris, finally, we have your game. Can you please regale us with a tale of your 51st favourite video game? So, months ago, I said how Castle of Illusion on the Master System may well have been the very first game I ever played. Now, memories of that were obviously a little bit hazy, as they naturally would be, seeing as I was like four or five years old. But in, in contention for that same title as the first game I played would have been Double Dragon. Ah. Because that was something I played, again, sat... Uh, like cross-legged on my auntie's floor playing at co-op with my cousin and and that game started this love I had for side-scrolling beat-em-ups like as a genre and of course like when I was that age when I was a kid having like a genre tag didn't mean anything but as I, as I grew up I, I found that I was always really enjoying like the simplicity of, of like brawler style games like Streets of Rage or Golden Axe or Capcom did a very good uh, version of The Punisher on the Mega Drive or there was the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles arcade game and, and like lots of others of these sort of firm favourites that I've enjoyed over the years and I didn't really give it much thought as a kid but that sort of genre the side-scrolling beat-em-up is obviously inherently shallow because most just have a linear series of stages in each you'd walk up you'd fight some bad guys you'd fight a boss you'd move on new stage rinse and repeat kind of thing and it's all mindless stuff and although certain games might be more polished than others or maybe certain games featured characters or licenses that would have appealed more to me at that age than others they're all experiences that don't really have particular depth. It's, it's just like inherent to that as a, as a type of game. Now, I like that, Minty, you, you often bring up kind of like magazine coverage of games because it, it gives it a particular time and place just because magazines, we don't really read them in the same way now. They, they're still printing some, but mm. it doesn't feel like they're a thing that kids bother with. For shame. It is, it is a shame. But yeah, when I got my Sega Saturn, I changed my magazine subscriptions at my local WH Smiths from, I used to get the Beano, as Minty mentioned already today, and I used to get, and I used to get uh, Treasures of the Earth, which was like a, a weekly thing which included a real gemstone or mineral every week, Whoa. just 99p for the first issue, and, th- and then about like 27.99 for every edition. Or two. <laughs> How they get you? And, <laughs> and I swapped those two to start. I swapped those two to start reading Computer and Video Games magazine and also the official Sega Saturn magazine. Oh yeah. Both of these at the time ran pretty extensive coverage on what would become my 51st favorite video game the side-scrolling beat-em-up come RPG, Guardian Heroes. Hey, Ooh. you love that game. I do love that game. Now, Guardian Heroes, it was it was by Treasure, who I've mentioned before, the developer Treasure. It was their first foray onto the Saturn and their first foray onto just like 32-bit consoles at all after working with the Mega Drive mainly. And even though it differed quite heavily from their previous efforts like Dynamite Heady that I've talked about on this list and Gunstar Heroes that I've mentioned, uh, I really, really loved it. And Guardian Heroes seemed to kind of answer a lot of questions I never knew I had about the genre at that age so it, it kind of asked things like how, how can you expand on a game which generally traded only on it being about like physically punching people that sort of immediate gameplay and things like how do you attempt to make a player invest in your characters when their only traits are being able to punch people it's kind of you know it, it's not a genre that you associate with with like I said having any depth 
But Guardian Heroes, it, it took the recognizable format of the beat-em-up and expanded it by having branching paths. Uh, it had kind of an overcomplicated narrative that I never understood as a kid. It had sort of leveling mechanics that would grant your character different skills and different magic attacks and things, depending on how you sort of leveled up and how you filled your skill tree, as it were. It also answered some technical questions, which again, I, I can only really understand this in hindsight. Like, what exactly was the Saturn good for when viewed <laughs> alongside like the, the PlayStation 1? Because I've mentioned before that as much as we both loved the Saturn, yes. it was basically a cobbled together mess of components that showed that Sega had really failed to read development trends. <laughs> and, and it left the Saturn totally ill-equipped to handle more expansive 3D titles that would define the PS1 and then the N64. But what it was, the Saturn was a 2D powerhouse. It could do 2D games very, very well. And Guardian Heroes leverages that kind of oomph or, or that welly to just throw a lot of stuff on screen at all times. So there's there's all sorts <laughs> of scaling sprite-based characters that are, that are filling every stage. And, and whereas kind of 16-bit games like Streets of Rage, they would take flat scrolling environments and have your characters like a constant size, Guardian Heroes used the extra heft of the Saturn to sort of zoom in and out of the action to accommodate everything at once. It would shrink your character right down to show kind of massive screen-filling bosses. It could fill it with hordes of enemies that the previous consoles just wouldn't have been able to run. There were explosions and projectiles. All this stuff was, was clear that it was playing to the strengths of the console. It made battles really exciting and dynamic whilst retaining kind of still that sort of visceral thud of hand-to-hand combat that always drew me to the genre since Double Dragon when I was four or five. In terms of it being a game, obviously it is still just a side-scrolling beat-em-up, so you can't say too much about it mechanically. But I I wanted to mention it had like a battle mode, which was essentially just a basic Colosseum-style versus mode that you could play either with computer opponents or friends. But in addition to letting you select any of the core cast of characters that you'd unlocked in the story, it also let you take control of any enemies or NPCs that had appeared in the campaign because you would unlock them as as you took different paths through the game or as you kind of met certain criteria. And as a kid, like I said, I I didn't care about the story. I, I didn't know what was going on enough to worry too much about that. But I spent a lot of time just attempting to populate the character select screen with as many of these characters as possible. And that definitely took up a lot more of my thoughts than understanding the narrative itself. It was just, it's a really great addition, which adds huge replayability to a game and a genre, like I said, that had never really had this level of depth previously. Yeah. It's a game, it's quite accessible these days because it had a very solid port to the Xbox 360. That port is playable uh, via backwards compatibility on the Xbox One, if anyone owns one. And it still stands up. It's it's a good title. And and, I mean, the 360 edition smoothed out some of the slowdown the original one had. So I guess it's a better experience. But I still think the Saturn version is my favourite because... If nothing else, the Saturn control pad lends itself so well to 2D action titles. And I don't really think any platform has has matched that. You know, the fact that if you buy a sort of a 2D fight pad, say for Street Fighter these days, it's still modelled on the shape of a Saturn controller. Yeah. It's clear that that, that worked well for, for those sort of games. It also had a, like a spiritual sequel uh, in a game called Code of Princess that was on the 3DS and now the Switch. Oh, I didn't which know is, that. It's all right. It's, it's nothing special it's, I think some of the original development team worked on it and mechanically it's very similar but it, it doesn't it doesn't hold up as well for me I, I didn't enjoy it that much when I played it but might be worth, might be worth checking out on a sale if it does come up if, you, if you're interested in that 
I don't think Treasure really ever put out a bad game across their history. Like they're not particularly active now. I don't think they've released anything for five, six years at least. And Guardian Heroes saw them chalk up like another really impressive entry in their library as they moved on to 32-bit systems. I mean, as with everything on this list, it's, it's a title I really love. It's one I'd implore people to at least try and give a go via one of these methods I, I mentioned. It's just, it's a good game. These are all such good games. <laughs> yeah, I remember when we had our Saturns and that was a game that you had that I didn't have. And I don't think I've ever played it, actually. Which I feel I might have missed out a little bit there. You did. It was good. It's very good. I think it's probably because I didn't I didn't play anything on the 16-bit generation. Yeah. So I think I never formed attachments to any sort of genre. Yeah. It, subliminally or liminally. <laughs> uh, that I would then pick up on, on the Saturn. And I found myself immediately just drawn to... RPGs and whatever my brother was playing mm. um, so I, I never never kind of yeah got into sort of the more action based games but there we have it another three games another day another destiny and this also marks the halfway point for our life uh, in, in <laughs> for, for us three gents hey. <laughs> first of all we had Super Mario 3D Land followed by Pokemon Blue and finally Guardian Heroes three cracking spaffing games if you enjoyed this episode or if indeed you've enjoyed any of our episodes please do subscribe like it share it on social media leave us a review tell your friends we're about to go into the top 50 of our game. So, my goodness, it's going to be wall-to-wall glory. Absolute bangers. If you want to get involved in the conversation, you can do that. You can find us on Facebook if you search for Our Three Cents. You can chat to us on there about your thoughts on the episodes. You can ask us questions that you might like us to answer in a future episode. Or if you can reach out to us individually. You can challenge us on our thoughts on various games and ideas and ideals. You can fight us in a pub car park near you. I mean... Ooh, I'm just going to quickly consult my legal team. <laughs> yeah, they said that that'll be on your own head. Aww. But you can find Chris at Chaz <laughs> underscore Hodges. And I maybe I'll admit my one this week. But um, At Jonathan Dunn, you can find me. <laughs> Minty. Oh, I'm Clement underscore Boo. And please do join us next week as we do delve into the top 50 favourite video games of our three cents. Number 50. That's a boss level, if ever I heard one. I think if this was a boss, it would be the first time you fight what will be the final boss, but in a more junior form. Ooh, and then yeah. at the end, he'll go, oh, well, you're a bit more tough than I expected, but you'll never get through this next bit. Mm. See you later. It type seems thing. I underestimated you. I'll retreat for now, but this isn't over. That's exactly it. 